we've been working on uh, speaking on the presence of, of God and um, our core values are, um, are right behind us now. We finally got them up with these nice little chevrons uh, representing all these different things. But um, the presence and, and thankful for our team, Sean and some of the, and Stephen and Caleb, we've been working really hard to get that done. Um, but we, we, we're always going to be a word-based church based on the word of God, led by the spirit, with the mission of God. And, um, and that, is, that is who we are. And, and also our core values is something God has been speaking to us about, which is that we value the presence of God. We believe that the presence of God is tangible and that we are a people of his presence. And we believe that we can have an encounter to be an encounter and we believe that God's presence is not just a theory or an allegory or some sort of metaphor, but that his presence is real and it's tangible. And so we're gonna continue in all these core values uh, throughout the year and uh, we're gonna camp here in his presence for a little bit. It's good, it's a good thing to do. Um, we, we learned that the presence of God is like the face of God. It's like the, the most common translation in the Hebrew language for the presence is translated, it's a synonym translated face, which means it's not just like the smell of God or the aroma of God, but he's actually with you. He's with you. It's hard to be present somewhere when you're not there. And God is with us. And so we believe that his, his presence is tangible when he says he's with us. But I also wanna focus on that the presence of God is not just something for us, actually. It's not like we're, uh, I'm selling you God's presence and I'm trying to give you some self-help uh, understanding here. I, I wanna, I wanna kinda reorient us and realize the theological truth that we are made for God. And it, it's, God is not for our sole benefit, but we benefit because we are made for him. So to be his is something of great reward, but it's not the reason to follow him, we are totally his. He's not, it's not like we exist, it's not like he exists for us. We exist for him. And so we have to reorient our thinking so it's not like uh, I'm telling you, oh well you need the God's presence because you need to be better at life, you need to have more things in your life and God's just gonna, and it's gonna give you all this cuddly stuff. It's like, no, 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 we're for him. Your whole purpose, your whole design, your whole makeup is actually made for him. And so we're not selling God at all. I, don't, I wanna get us reoriented here. We're his people, we're, we're for his presence because that's uh, why we were made. Let's, let's go to our first verse. I just wanna talk about John 5.19, what Jesus says, uh, the, 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 the God-man, fully God, fully man, the Son of God, who actually became present on earth. Now, Jesus, born of a virgin, sent by the Father, lived a sinless life, died on a cross for our sins, after three days rose again, ascended into heaven. This Jesus, when he was on earth, he's present on earth. It's God literally being present on earth. And Jesus, showing us his example, says this, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For the Father does what the Son does likewise. Jesus uh, exemplified how to live on earth. He, he, he was so united with the Father that whatever he saw the Father doing, that's what he did. He was so entrenched in who God, and who the Father was. And I think that 
Some of our hiccups when it comes to transformation is that we don't behold in his presence long enough to know about him and to know and to not know him is, is a shortfall for us. Uh, I wanna get into today's text and I, I kinda, with our reorientation of God's presence, because I really wanna make this clear, God's presence is not something that we talk about lightly. It's not something that we become so familiar with that we actually lose the value of who he is. You know, it's easy to come so familiar with something powerful that you take it for granted. You don't even realize how powerful that thing is until you actually encounter it in a dangerous situation. Actually, we, every day, if you drive or if you go in a vehicle, you're going into a powerful thing. You don't realize it. A lot of vehicles are over 2,000 pounds. I think that's right. Right? Okay. I don't know. A ton? I think that's 2,000. I'm a pastor. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> but that's a powerful thing. Right? And we, we go into it easily. We, we, we take it for granted. We put one arm on the steering wheel. We're looking at the trees. We're listening to the radio. We're not texting because that would be illegal. I know that's true. That's a powerful thing. But all of a sudden, you come into an interaction with another vehicle, or maybe you hit something and you realize, man, this thing is so powerful. I took it for granted. I became so familiarized with this vehicle, but I didn't realize exactly how powerful this thing is. And, and, and I think that sometimes we treat God's presence in such a familiarity that we don't realize what we're really dealing with. So I wanna familiarize us again and look at Hebrews 12, 18 through 27. I'm gonna read it on my laptop real quick because it's bigger font for me and my eyes aren't getting worse. It's just the font must be getting smaller on the screen. Uh, yeah, for those of you who don't know, there's a screen back there, so. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. The, the author of Hebrews, which is likely the Apostle Paul, is actually talking about the time when God's presence came on Mount Sinai. So have that in your mind. It came as a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For instance, the Israel people were so fearful of what they saw when it came to the presence of God on that mountain that they didn't want to hear anymore and they're like, Moses, you just go. We're too scared to come near that. For they could not endure the order that was given even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Now he's talking to the new believers. You have come to Mount Zion, not Mount Sinai, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gatherings, and to the assembly of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. That's believers. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. This is the covenant we enter into. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, 
much less will escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. That's Jesus. And at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And then let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is our God. Our God is powerful. He's a consuming fire. And Moses had to cover his face because he encountered so much glory. We're gonna get into that in a little bit. But this is so powerful that even Moses, the friend of God, was trembling in fear when he encountered God's presence in such a miraculous way. It's kind of like, have you, have you, I, I have never personally uh, have come face to face with a tornado, but I have friends who have, and they tell me about the fear and trembling that they encounter when they see a tornado. Now, I, I think a tornado is so, like, I'm, I'm one of these crazy people. I'm kind of tempted. I'm like, man, I'd love to see one. Because it looks so powerful. It, 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 it's like, what do you mean all the winds are coming together and it's, it's like anything in its path gets obliterated. Anything that was made by hands gets instantly destroyed. Some of the strongest structures that men would make to stand all of a sudden get demolished in this thing. Yet I know that if I actually saw one face to face, I would tremble with fear and pray to God for my life. God is like that tornado. And that tornado, thank God, is for us, not against us. So I want us to stop conforming our idea of God to ourself because when we think that God needs to conform to who we are, you will end up in misery. In misery. Because God's conformity to who you are means that you're trying to make God fit into your plans fit into your life, fit into how you want to operate. When the reality is, if you want to live this awesome, thriving life in Jesus, you conform to who he is. And then your life is full of freedom and joy. See, too often we become geocentric. Too often we just think because this, you know, you, 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 you judge the world in how you perceive things and for, for years, for the majority of humanity, we had thought that the sun rotated around us. We're like, I see the sun come up around me, and I see it go down around me. The sun rotates around me. We are the center, and the sun rotates around us. It's just normal perception, because that's how we see things. It's like, why wouldn't it be that way? And so when we relate to God, we see God in our life, and we're like, God, you're for me. You love me. You're just like, and we turn God into like this cuddly teddy bear that we just, he's so smushy. He loves me. And I, and I know, Ethan, you're right. Like, you're right on with the love of God. I'm not trying to, but, but we'll talk about that later, but. But, but the thing is, it's like, he's not just a squishy teddy bear. Like, remember Despicable Me, that little girl? She gets that, that cuddly unicorn. She's like, it's so fluffy. And she like shakes it. If, if you have little kids, you, have, you totally know what I mean. Or grandkids or whatever. Or maybe just like that movie, you saw it. But, 
But we've made God into that. It's like, it's like that's not God's presence. It feels amazing. It, it, it's exhilarating experiencing him in such, a, in such an amazing way. But, but man, he is not a fluffy unicorn. He's not. Let's, let's continue. Now, now, the Apostle Paul who wrote Corinthians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, he, he, uh, we're very sure that he wrote that. We believe that he wrote the book of Hebrews. It's not quite clear, but we believe that he has. But it really does make sense when you look at how he's speaking to the Corinthians, who's another church. And he continues on in this, in this kind of format where he's talking about Moses' encounter on Mount Sinai. And he talks about the redemptive work there because I, I don't want you, if I left you in Hebrews 12, which how amazing and, and awesome and, and, and how much we need to revere God because this is, this is what I want us to do. I want us to get back to revering his presence. Like when we're walking in the presence of God, when we are encountering God's presence, we need to have this awe of respect you're not, it's, he's not a cuddly teddy bear. He might, he's not, a, he's not a little kitten. He's a lion. When you engage with a kitten, you're like, you know, attacking its head and it's grabbing your hand. It's all fluffy and soft. But when you encounter a lion, you have respect for a lion. You don't just try to do whatever you want. But I don't wanna leave you in just that's only who God is because the Apostle Paul continues in 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 18. I'm gonna read this to you. And it's, uh, again, it's not, just like our worship isn't short, our verses, we're gonna, we're gonna read several here and, and uh, try to follow along. And I encourage you to continue to study these in your personal time as you grow with the Lord. It says, now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, those are the, the 10 commandments that Moses was given on Mount Sinai, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was, bring, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, that's the law, that, that, that's the law that brings death because those 10 commandments, no person, no man or woman, child or elder, could ever follow those flawlessly. So they brought death. You could not hold up to the Ten Commandments for the, for the, not majority, for the entirety of your life. So they would bring condemnation. The, but the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. This is the righteousness we get through Christ Jesus. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has ha come to have no glory at all because the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Come on. Since we have no hope, so excuse me, since we have such a hope, this, I gotta make my words bigger or get glasses. We are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what is being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, speaking of the, Jew the Jewish people who haven't converted, 
When they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ it is taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But listen to this. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Transformation starts at gazing into the glory. That's how transformation starts. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are transformed into his glory. We are start the sanctification process where because of Christ's sacrifice, resurrection, we have forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God. When we accept Christ, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins. And so now we have this reconciliation, but this sanctification process never ends. The Holy Spirit will continue to sanctify you. And so when we stop this sanctification process, when we, when we um, as Christians, as believers, when we uh, draw away from the Lord, we get into sin. Sin, we learned in a, a few weeks ago, sin will hide you from God's presence. And the, and the thing about sin, it, it, it's impossible to live in sin and to be in his presence at the same time. To continually gaze in his presence and to continue to sin is just impossible. Because you can't only have one or the other. And, and I think as Christians, we need to continue to gaze into his glory until that transformation process is finally complete where the things that we struggle with are broken off of us. Where no longer they become strongholds in our life because as we're gazing into his glory, these things that we used to struggle with become delivered. I, I, I love reading um, Teresa of Avila. She, there's a book, uh, and she's a, a, a wonderful woman, a godly woman in the 14th century. And, and, she, and she would talk about the different stages of, of gazing into the glory of God. And, 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 and the, way she, the, the way she talked about it was like, you know, the first stage of, of being into the glory is like, you know, petitioning God. You know, it's, this is our petitionary prayer where it's like, God, you know I need this. God, you know, I, you know where I'm at in this. God, I need you, God. I, 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 have, to, I have to get this done, God. I need, I need help with this and help with this. And God, you know I need help with this. And God, help me with the groceries. And God, I don't know why. Gas went up 40 cents. Help me. You know, like, how many of us pray those prayers, right? Come on. I, we all do every day. That's like one stage of, of, of entering into the glory of God, but it's like all of a sudden you get to another stage where all of a sudden you see how glorious the Lord is and you see your imperfections. You're drawing closer as deep crawls out to deep. You're drawing nearer to God. And so you realize that no longer that it's geocentric where you're the center and, and the sun, but now it's like God's presence doesn't grow any stronger. What ha needs to happen is we need to go deeper. We need to get closer as deep cries out to deep, as, 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 as one draws closer to another. We need to draw closer to him. And so she talks about how all of a sudden you see these imperfections because you see how good he is. 
And that's not a bad thing, actually. It's, it's actually a part of the process of coming close to God because you see, God, you're so worthy. I'm so unworthy. I have a perfect, perfect practical real-life application for this. Every morning, I get up, I get ready, I get dressed, I look great. <laughs> Ruth is usually... Um, Ruth likes to make our kids, she calls it porridge. We call it oatmeal every morning. Porridge is something that Goldilocks and the Three Bears ate. I had no idea that was oatmeal, but anyway. She does that because, you know, kids like love snacks. And, and if you feed them like par- oatmeal, it's, it's heavy. And so it, they're less hungry uh, throughout the day. And so she, she makes amazing oatmeal and um, and no matter how well my wife tries to teach these children how to behave like humans and use utensils and meet the, and get into the mouth, it's like, for sure, this oatmeal gets everywhere, on their fingers, on their mouth. It's like they just go towards the mouth and everything else. Like, sometimes it gets in there, some of it gets here, here. And so I, you know, I don't eat breakfast normally, and I just kind of have a coffee, and then I say goodbye, and, and they're so great, because then they want to hug me and kiss me. And, you know, we're in the house, and, and I got like, you know, they, and they're little. I got a six-year-old, a five-year-old, a four-year-old, a two-year-old. And so they're like, they're like, they hug me here and here. And then I pick up the little one, and I pick them up, and, and their face is right there. And, and I give them a kiss, and, and I'm in the house, which is totally lit, and I don't realize how all of a sudden dirty I am. Until I step outside into a greater light. And I see this greater light and I go, I was clean, but now I'm not. I thought I was clean, but I'm not. Because I actually went to a place that had more light. And I saw my imperfections. And I saw how unworthy I am when I get closer to God. And I say, God, I don't even deserve you. I don't even deserve to be a pastor here, God. I, I'm just a man. I don't even, I have so many imperfections in me. And then Teresa talks about another level. It's like all of a sudden you draw even closer to his glory and it's so glorious you can't even see yourself anymore. You're not even thinking about yourself. All you're thinking about is him. You realize how, much, how well you're made for him because you're now closer to him. And I think that sometimes we stop at certain stages of glory where we don't draw closer to him and we're still stuck in the, God, I need, God, I need. God, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. Where it's like, God, it's just all you. It's just all you. I want us to get into a place in our personal lives and as a community, as a church. I know that God is gonna continue to move in Albuquerque and I believe that there will be a wonderful outpouring of the Lord in Albuquerque in a manifested glorious way where there'll be many saved and many to come to know Jesus and many repenting of their sins and Christians renewing their lives with God again and just this beautiful thing and, and, and us seeing actual real transformation in our city like poverty broken and, 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 and the homeless being uh, 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 whole and, and all this awesome stuff in our economy just being thriving and, and all these things happen when God's outpouring happens, and so I want authentic revival. 
I don't want us to just do service to do service. I don't want a tradition. I want what, we're, what we were promised, which is a living relationship with God. If we're just here to do two songs, a dance and a little verse, and then we pray, we were made for more. And there is more. And so that's what I want us to pursue. I want us to pursue a full outpouring of the Holy Spirit where we see his manifested glory. I want, us, I want that to happen in our homes, in our families, in our church. I know this is just a building. These are just physical walls that man had made. But we did dedicate this. This sanctuary belongs to the Lord. And, and we encounter him because we worship together wherever the people of God gather. And this is where we gather. And so I wouldn't be surprised if God's manifested glory came. I wouldn't be surprised. I would be in awe. Maybe I would be surprised, but I'd be like, this, I knew this was supposed to happen, but my goodness, this is, I can't wait for stuff like that. And I know that's gonna happen, but we need to, first of all, I, 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 we need to make sure that it's authentic and that we promise in our hearts we will not prostitute the glory of God where we start selling it or thinking that we're a big deal because of it. Like we know, we don't, we, none of us deserve it. But I see that, you know, as we continue to gaze into his glory as a people, as a community, even the community that's streaming online, thank you for, for watching. I know that many of you wanna be here and you can't for several reasons, but we bless you. And, uh, and, and I just wanna encourage our community, just side note here, a little rabbit trail before I shoot that rabbit, just if you know someone at home streaming and um, you can go and visit them and they're okay with you visiting them, reach out to them, call them, visit them, love on them, okay? All right? But anyway, I know that revival in our modern times has happened and is happening and I want us to be a part of it. I, I remember, you know, I don't remember, but I, I remember reading the Azusa Street Revival happened in the early 1900s where uh, God's manifested glory came in amazing ways. There was the Toronto Revival, even more recent, in 1994, where there was a wonderful moving and outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We have the Pensacola Revival, which happened in 95. That's in Florida, where God's power moved in a, de in a different denomination, uh, you know, in, in a different place in the, in, in the continent. And, and, and there was wonderful signs, wonders, miraculous healings, and, and people repenting and getting saved. And, and then there was uh, uh, other revivals. There's revivals that are less famous that we don't even know about. Have you ever heard of the Smithton Revival? Some of you. Smithton, Missouri. Has anyone been to Smithton, Missouri? Right, who would? It's nowhere. I mean, these stories of revival, I mean, they, they, they capture my mind and my heart because it's like the story of the Smithton revival, it's a village of 532 people in Smithton, Missouri. Pastor Gray thought he was quite successful because they, they've been going for the presence of God, they've been going for, for uh, revival in their, in their city, and 128 people, 532, attended his church. So he thought, I'm pretty successful, this is a pretty successful church. The, you know, they, they had the biggest church in the city. But after 11 years of knocking on the door, asking God to move and them not seeing it, they were getting desperate and despair started to build up. And, they, uh, and, and, and by Pastor Gray's testimony, he, he was burned out. Basically wanted to quit. The elders were desperate, full of despair, and people were getting tired. 
And instead of actually um, telling them that he was burned out and he needed a break, he said, hey guys, I'm gonna take two weeks and go to Pensacola to see the revival there. But his real motivation was because he just couldn't be near all the sheep again because they kept biting him. Sheep bite. And so he goes there, and man, he gets so refreshed. He gets touched by the Lord. And Sunday, uh, after the Sunday morning service, he calls his wife. His wife was running the church and, and helping keep things together. And so he calls his wife and tells his wife, this was the best service I've ever been to in my life, experiencing God's presence. She was so encouraged by that, she shared it with the church. And instead of them being encouraged, they got full of more despair and because it wasn't happening at their church. That one of the elders, after she shared it, came up and said, well, if God's not gonna move here, why don't we just shut it down? Like, this is where they were. This is the place they were in. But when Pastor Gray came back, he had no expectation of what God was going to do. He just felt refreshed. When he came back to the front row, he actually gave his wife a hug and instantly he felt this bolt of electricity come through him and he started jumping up and down, praising Jesus. And then others flocked to the front and they experienced a similar thing to over a quarter of a million people end up going through that church as they do revival night after night after night as their city becomes transformed. Small little place. It can happen anywhere. The uh, revival, I was talking to a, a guy named Jonathan Taylor. He he actually, in 2013, was going through a revival. He was in Wales, and he was Welsh. And, and, um, and I was asking him, well, how did it happen? How did this revival happen? Jonathan Taylor's an interesting guy because he actually never, he never actually um, came to Jesus the way we would normally. He was, uh, he was a thief and a drug addict, and he ended up um, getting caught, finally. And um, he, because of all his uh, times of stealing and, and drugs and stuff, they put him away for quite some time, and um, he, uh, was, he found a Bible in his cell, and so he had a great idea, and he started rolling the papers of the Bible to smoke cigarettes. He used them as cigarette uh, roll, rolls, wraps. What's that called? Oh, okay. It's a test. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay. So he's, <laughs> trap. <laughs> so, uh, so he starts reading those papers and he gets radically saved and he has this ministry to drug addicts when he, gets, he finally gets out of the prison because they get so full, they release him early and he, he uh, has a ministry to drug addicts and, and, um, and he needed to make a living and it's a fascinating story because he, he actually, you know, when you are in prison, you have a felony, it's hard to get another job. And so what he decided to do as a Christian, full of, full of Jesus, he decided to go to convenience stores and, and uh, 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 video stores and stuff like that and steal things. And then he would immediately return them uh, to the manager and owner and then sell them security systems. He's like, I'm a thief. I know how a thief thinks. I know how a thief does it. And so that's how he made his living uh, while he was planning his church. And then he became a reality uh, star on uh, UK television called How to Catch a Thief. And they would put like hidden body cameras on him and stuff. And they would, he would steal things from stores and then, you know, and then return them and be like, you need a security system, that kind of thing. And, uh, but anyway, let's get back to the revival. 
So I'm asking, I said, how did, how did God, like, how did it happen? How did the revival happen? He said, well, he said, we were uh, doing church on Wednesday night, and Wednesday night was so dead. Uh, we were desperate for God, and God wasn't moving. He said, Paul, uh, no one wanted to go to Wednesday nights. Our, my own staff didn't want to go to Wednesday nights, and we actually decided as a staff, this would be our last Wednesday night. We're not doing it anymore. And it was a shoebox type sanctuary. The stage, uh, uh, he said the only thing that was different was the stage was originally this way, but for the first Wednesday night, they had to move it to that end of the corner. I think it was fire code and, and like exit kind of things that they needed to adapt to. So uh, the stage was all of a sudden on the, uh, the smaller wall. He said, but I preach the same boring message that I always preach. I was like, you should listen to my messages. I mean, and... Uh, and then he's like, and I said this prayer, and while I'm praying, one of our congregants who we know really well was in a wheelchair, and he felt the presence of God come upon him, and he felt heat in his body, and this faith built in his heart, and he stood up for the first time, and he got so much strength in his body that he later was able to hold the wheelchair above his head, and he has a picture of him holding this wheelchair above his head. And then all the people who were just coming out of tradition now got faith in their heart that God was there. So something happens to you when you're like, God's here. We're, we're drawing close to his glory. And then night after night, salvations were happening, and they couldn't stop it. And so finally, all of Wales and the surrounding nations were coming to this little church in Wales to see God move. Just takes one moment. I want to invite you to stand. His presence is powerful, so powerful to transform us as we gaze into it. Number one thing we need to do is draw close to him. Gaze into his glory so that we become transformed into who he is. We stop being so self-centered and we start being God-centered. And we start saying, God, where are you going? What are you doing? How do we move where you're moving? As a pastor here for eight months, as the lead pastor, I was an associate pastor at another church in Pennsylvania, but as the lead pastor, I came here and made decisions based on logic. Staff would come to me, things needed to be solved, direction need to be in and all these things and I started making the right decision I thought they were the right decisions and I would make them because they made sense and the Holy Spirit said to me shouldn't you pray about it first like what see because it was my what I thought was the right thing to do isn't always the right thing to do and so I had to reorient my language and my thinking and my heart to say, okay, even though this might be the right logical thing to do, God, I'm gonna see what you say about it. Because you're a powerful vehicle. And I'm not gonna just become so familiar with you that I'm gonna act as though I'm you. I wanna serve you. I wanna go where you're going. That's how we need to reorient ourselves. So let me pray for you. Why don't we just close our eyes and God, just as a community, God, we just thank you for your presence. We thank you that your presence is alive and thriving. But Lord, we want more. 
We want more in the sense that we wanna come closer to you to get more of you. We want more in the sense that we wanna look upon you to be transformed by you. We wanna draw so close that it's no longer us looking at ourselves, but we just cannot but stop seeing you. We cannot stop seeing you. And Lord, in every decision, in every direction, in everything in our families, we just want more of you. We want you in our houses, God. Lord, as we walk through the threshold of our doorways, we want all chaos to dissolve and be in your presence. We want your presence in our homes. God, when there's conflict and, and things in the atmosphere in our homes, when they're not right, may we go against the flow of atmosphere and welcome your presence. May we put that worship music on. May we be people of your presence when we come into this room or when we come into a place where we're meeting with you. May we not take you so for granted that we act like you're just some fluffy thing, but God, may we realize with reverence and awe of how amazing and powerful you are and that you've given us the ability to have unveiled faces because you're for us, not against us, that we can come into this awesome glory and be a part of it. God, I bless the people here. God, I pray and the people watching that you would commission them, that you would anoint their heads, you would anoint their hands, that they would be vessels of your glory, that you would consume them. This all-consuming fire that you talk about, God, it's a fire that burns. It's a fire that sanctifies. It's a fire that purifies. When it came upon the disciples in the upper room, it was a sign of purification. It was a sign of sanctification. Everything that was imperfect was being burned up inside them so that they could be vessels of you. Holy Spirit, light us on fire that we can burn for you and that everything that's not of you would burn up and we would become pure vessels that are authentic because we just want more of you. We just want more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, give Jesus glory. We wanna, we wanna, we, we are people of prayer. We believe in the power of prayer. I wanna invite people who are in the ministry team to come forward. If you want prayer for healing in your body, if you need prayer because you're going through something, you need someone to stand with you. If you want, if you, if you need a breakthrough in your job, in your life, come forward. We wanna pray for you and we wanna pray with you. Other than that, We'll see you next week. Enjoy this beautiful, beautiful time in New Mexico. I don't know. It's supposed to be nice. Anyway, blessings to you guys. We'll see you next week.